started a series last week on harnessing your mind. How many know there is an assault on your thinking processes these days in every imaginable way? Last week, I went into some detail. If you weren't here last week, check it out, uh, MP3, MP4 on our website. My notes are there as well. Also, if you want to follow along today, I don't normally say everything that's in my notes. And you can find that on version. If you'll open up the version Bible app, then uh, you can find it on there. Go to the bottom of the page, click more on the, on the far right, and then events come up on the menu. The next page, click events, you'll see a map of Raleigh, and click on Victory Church, and you got my notes. So last week, I'm not going to cover everything I did last week except to say Satan's uh, way of attacking any human life is, first of all, through the thought processes. There is a road that he travels to get into every life, and it is the road of thinking. We didn't went into detail on that last week, and I won't even mention it because I don't have time this week. I ended last week with 30 symptoms of an unrenewed mind. We gave you on a sheet, and uh, then 30 symptoms of a mind that has been renewed with God's Word. So I want to talk about uh, four steps to mind renewal and life change. How many know as goes your mind, so goes your life? Over the years of time, I, 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 uh, when I read books, I encourage you to do this. When I read books, I always take notes as I read books so that I remember what I read. So if all you do is read a book, you may forget. Read, highlight, underline, whatever you do. I also take notes from books, so I've kept extensive notes over the years. And this is from the early 80s. I've got quotes I have in my notes about the mind. Here are a few that I'll share with you today. Kenneth Hagin had a quote that he mentioned constantly. Actually, I found out, got it from Martin Luther in the, um, in the 1500s, 1600s. You can, can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. And what was he saying? You, you can't keep wrong thoughts from invading your mind. How many of you have been just doing something and just a really weird thought comes in? Well, they come from everywhere. They come from without. They come from within. They come from things that we've watched, listened to, conversations, etc., uh, John G. Lake, who was a man of God at the uh, beginning of the 20th century, had a tremendous ministry, uh, said a man's life will be as the character of his thoughts. If he thinks evil, he will be evil. If he thinks holy, he will be holy. His outward life will be as his inner impulses. I read these things as a young man in my early 20s, and they so challenged me to change how I think, and they literally fomented change in my life. Tim LaHaye, I was reading a book by Tim LaHaye on, uh, on the mind in the early 80s and got this quote, Kim, Tim LaHaye, who wrote that uh, Left Behind series, you remember, uh, he's a psycho Christian psychologist, said this, you live the way you think, so what the mind feeds upon becomes the most influential force in your life. Now, I read that. I was probably 22 years old when I read that quote. And I'm telling you that that jarred me. It made me think about the kinds of movies I watch, the kinds of television programs I watch. How many know you can come to church and listen to me and cancel it all out by ingesting garbage on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Yes or no? So you need to watch what kinds of things we look at, the kinds of things we listen to. When I read these quotes, I made a decision. You know what? If I watch what I eat, I'm going to watch what I hear. I'm going to watch what I see. Because if it's true that my mind determines how I live, if my mind is the most influential part of me, why not take care of my mind? Hello? If you don't take care of your mind, some, some really challenging things can happen 
in life. Uh, lastly, Smith Wigglesworth, two more Smith Wigglesworth said this, the devil knows if he can capture your thought life, He's won a mighty victory over you. I come across people everywhere I go who are held bound by deceptive conditions. And these conditions have come about simply because they've allowed the devil to make their mind the place of his stronghold. Now, Smith Wigglesworth died at 47, 48. Uh, he, he just uh, went all around the world as a tremendous healing evangelist. Had 23 people raised from the dead under his ministry. Just a tremendous anointing from Smith Wigglesworth. And I never forgot that quote, so it's always made, challenged me to watch what I think. Lastly, Lester Sumrall, who died in 1996, age 83, had a, uh, went over to a hundred nations, went to over a hundred nations of the world preaching the gospel. You cannot have spiritual power without purity of mind. How many know that's true? I mentioned last week, your mind really in some ways has a life of its own, and it's a real wake-up day when you see this. I mentioned this verse last week. I'll use this as my bouncing point to what I'm going to talk about today. Romans 8 7 uh, amplified Bible says the mind of the flesh that is a mind dominated by outward things you could say it that way uh, with its sinful pursuits is actively hostile to God everybody say actively hostile to God now that ought to shock you my mind left alone is hostile to spiritual things hmm. uh, pa passion translation says it this way in fact the mindset focused on the flesh outward things fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction. That's challenging, isn't it? Now, what does that say to you and me? If, I, if, if I'm left alone and left and just let my thoughts have their way, they will drive me away from God. They'll drive me away from closeness with him. They'll drive me away from closeness with others. And my thoughts will drive me into a self-centered life that can bring ruin as the years go by. Yes or no? Well, that was, that's not even in my notes. Wow. Anyway, here are four steps to mind renewal and life change. Just four things that I have found helpful for me. And you really want to think about what I'm about to say. I have uh, I've proved this out over, uh, over this is I'm into my 44th year in Jesus. And I've proved that these things work in my own life. I mean, it works, y'all. Number one. Four steps to, so if you want to change what you're thinking, renew your mind, cleanse it of wrong thinking, which produces wrong behaviors. How many know if you have, have emotions that are just blasé? How many know emotions in a, in a healthy person are controlled by thinking? Now, again, a healthy person. Now, there are those who have, have uh, physical issues and we have chemical, chemicals in our brain that sometimes are depleted because of years of duress and that kind of thing. And, and uh, psychiatrists and psychologists really can help people that have those kinds of issues. I've dealt with many people like that. But in, but in a person whose body's functioning the way it should, the chemicals are doing what they're supposed to do. And what you, what you find is your emotions follow thought patterns. So if you want to be a mentally slash healthy, emotion, emotionally healthy person. How many know we need to watch what we're thinking? Very, very important. So uh, look, four steps to mind renewal and life change. When we renew what we think, it changes how we live. Number one, this is, and you can't pass this step or it won't work. Number one, locate the wrong thoughts. Now, now that's easier said than done. 
uh, because we're often blind. Somebody said we live life through colored glasses. That is the glasses of our own experience. I've got some yellow glasses I use when I weed eat my yard to keep all the debris out of my eyeballs and uh, everything's yellow. My grass is yellow, my house is yellow, the trees are yellow, everything's yellow. The, everything's yellow. And that's the way life is. We see life colored by the experiences that we have. And what we think is the, the home we're raised in, that's how everybody's raised. Not true. Not true. Every home also, this is our, I'm going to do a, a, a series on relationships next year because I hadn't in a long time, but uh, listen, to, listen to this. Every home has an element of dysfunction. Every home. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you pastor a church. I don't care if you're on a church staff team. I don't care if you're volunteer of the year or month. It don't matter. Every home has dysfunction. And and sooner you know that, the better off you're going to be. So here's what I, listen to this. So I got to say some of these things got to move on. But I counseled, I started ministry in 1984, going from a janitor in a large church to counseling director of a church. And I had, you know, had uh, two Bible colleges under my belt. So the pastor asked me to do counseling. And, uh, you know, that counseling experience really shocked me. And what I found out in doing that, one of the things among many was that people start waking up to something's not right in their 20s. They'll go through their teenage, teenage years, in their 20s, late 20s, 30s. So by 35, 40, man, it's like something ain't right. They've been through a couple of marriages. They've had some bad relationships. Things aren't going right raising the kids. They had some, they had some challenges on their jobs with their finances, just with relationships and just like, I, I got to do something. Finally wake up. So that's what I found out. And, and so the best way that you can wake yourself up is, re, is locate the source of wrong thinking. Where is it at? Where did it come from? And then do something about it. And sometimes it takes somebody outside of you to help you see that kind of thinking is wrong. That's why friends are good. It's great if you got a friend and you're having lunch with them one day and they say something like, do you think that way all the time? <laughs> And you might go, well, sure, of course I do, don't you? And they say, well, no. Well, no. No, a, a friend loves at all times. Uh, open rebuke is better than carefully concealed love. So a friend to tell you the truth. And, and if you got a friend that can say, you really think that way? Oh, yeah. How long have you been thinking that way? All my life. Well, don't you think that way? Your friend will say, well, no, because he was raised different, Right? So locate your own thoughts usually from somebody outside of you. Here's a question. What are your mental ruts? Now, I've got to define a rut in just a minute. We, when we are pressured by life, watch this, we tend to regress to old familiar patterns of thinking. And those old familiar patterns of thinking and feeling and relating are ruts. Now, if you don't know what a rut is, let me explain a rut. Uh, two kinds of ruts. Uh, how many are familiar with vinyl records? How many know they're making a resurgency now? I gave my son, I bought a, a, a vinyl record player in 1980. It still works. And he's using it at his house now. So if you put a, put a vinyl record, you got to pick up the, you got to pick up the, uh, the, the uh, stylus and then put it down on the record and it plays music from the grooves. And then if you get a scratch, it won't leave that groove. Ah, da, 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 and just infant atoms sing the same thing. You ever heard that? Oh, well, that's what your mind does. 
That's what our minds do when we have a problem, when duress, pressure, and stress comes. It's like your mind gets into a, the, the groove like on a, a record and it just won't get off of it. Nobody likes me. Everybody's against me. Blah with the life. Blah with the life. I want to die. Whatever. You hear what I'm saying? And you got to find a way to counteract it. So um, a rut's an automatic way of thinking about yourself and life that you naturally default back to under pressure. Here's another illustration, if you can show those couple of illustrations of a road. Back years ago, now this is before I was born, uh, the roads in the U.S. were first of all, of course, dirt roads. Go to the next one. Oh, no, state, leave right there, right there. So roads had ruts. And they were dirt, so everybody, if you drive the same way on a road a lot, then it displaces the dirt where the tires are, and it makes mounds on either side, right? And so this sign right here says, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 200 miles. Ooh. And they really would have signs on the road. I've read people of yesteryear who talked about driving on dirt roads. And my own experience, listen to this, we lived down a two-tenths of a mile dirt road when I was a little boy. My dad bought, bought some land from an attorney in our city. There you go. There's a big rut. Good grief. Ours wasn't quite that bad. Nonetheless, when you turned off the main road, which was paved when I was young, I'm not that old, uh, you turn left onto the dirt road, travel two-tenths of a mile, then, then you know, you go down the road, and, and then suddenly there's some ruts, and my neighbors would turn off, yes, and neighbors live near us, and they would turn off the dirt road, and they made some big ruts in the road with their cars because they drove the same place all the time. When I started driving when I was 15, then turned 16, my dad said, now Mitch, when you're coming down the dirt road, don't drive on the same place all the time because we, to to, we don't want to happen to our road what happened to the neighbor's road. So when you turned on our dirt road, you turn and you see the ruts going into the neighbor's road and they were so, t they were so deep that they almost hit the differential and would, it would cause your car to be stuck right in the middle of the dirt road. And so when I turned off on the dirt road, I had to make sure my wheels weren't in the rut because the differential would stick. How many understand? The guys know what I'm talking about. Most ladies probably too. But nonetheless, my dad would always say, Mitch, don't drive on the same part of the road coming to our house once you pass the neighbors because you will form a rut and then it'll be really hard to drive, a rut. See, our minds get into ruts. If you think the same thing for a long period of time, it becomes familiar and it becomes a default pattern. Now, a lot of people today, because we have such dysfunctional homes in America, have some really bad default patterns. And so you come to a church, and, you know, we got all kinds of, we got over 20 nations represented at Victory Church. That means all kinds of ways of living, all kinds of thoughts about human life and marriage and children and family and individuals and how we talk and relate and how we carry on conversations and how we deal with things we like and dislike, how we deal with the opposite sex, how we deal with children, how we deal with strangers, etc., etc. And it's all, all different. And then the challenge is to get us all on the same page, page with Jesus. How many know if you can get your life in the rut where Jesus is not in a rut, but you can get on the page where he lives 
You can get out of your ruts and stay free. How many hear me? Everybody's got mental ruts. Here are my mental ruts. Let me just confess at least four. I found I've had boatloads, but here's at least four that I've had to deal with in my life. The first one started when I was a little boy. And let me tell you how it started. It started my dad. I used to have hair. My dad, and it was real curly and unmanageable in some ways, uh, particularly the front. It just did all kind of flippy things that I didn't like. And so my dad uh, would, uh, come here, Mitch, going to get a haircut, my hair, and I never liked my hair. It flipped up when I thought it ought to turn down. And it was just curly everywhere, and it was unmanageable in my view. Anyway, uh, then the uh, second thing that happened, and so I didn't like my hair. Secondly, secondly, uh, my dad uh, was uh, probably the most frugal person, and I love my father. He died in 2012, and I honor his, his remembrance but my dad's the most frugal person you would ever meet in your entire life. He could do more with a dollar than the average 1,000 people. Bankers would look at him, say, what you make and what you got and how'd you do that? He said, well, you do this, 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 this. You know, he was just that way. So when he bought my clothes, he bought them at least two or three sizes too big. I'm not making this up. And so, you know, I learned to ratchet my belt. <laughs> and then, you know, your pants are all squeegeed up. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and, then, and then, you know, because they're too long, you roll them up about three times. So I'm walking around the playground with everybody else. Everybody else is going like, they looking at my hair. They looking at my, they looking at my pants. And then my feet grew out before my body grew up. I, had, I wore a size 13 fifth grade. I'm not making that up. I went to the, I went to the water fountain and had to do this. Because <laughs> it went all the way to the floor. See, So now what did that produce in me? Let me tell you what it produced. And I didn't even realize it produced it. Rejection. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares. You're not like everybody else. There's something wrong with you. I mean, and then my dad was the jack of all trades and master of everything. He was just an ingenious man, just like my grandfather. It says Horton DNA. And my dad could do anything. He could make anything. I got stories about it. But while I'm helping my dad change a tire, or he did all of the auto mechanic work himself, or taking, a, you know, taking something off the car and replacing a part, or he's helping with my bicycle. He made this comment. If he said it once, he said it a thousand times. And he was a bit sarcastic, but he didn't mean anything mean by it. He just said it, but I took it wrong. He said this. You reckon you'll ever do anything right? Because I'd, I'd wring the head off of, a, of something, you know, a nut or whatever. I just mess the bolt up or whatever. I'm, I'm hammering a nail, and it's, it's crooked as it can be. And I, he has to get it out with a pair of claws or whatever. And so constantly, you reckon you'll ever do anything right? My little mind translated that, you can't do anything right. So I grew up with this inferiority thing going on when I got around people. And so it made me want to be a loner. It made me not want to talk to people. It made me judge people. I judged people and I never should have judged them, but I did because of this. And so it created a rejection in me, how many hear me? And uh, and I had to deal with that. Secondly, uh, the second thing was uh, for a number of reasons in my in my mind. When I was young, you're gonna get sick and die. I heard that you're just gonna get something. Something will happen. You're gonna get sick and die young. And, and then when I was 13, I told you that somebody a, a palm reader read my palm. Don't don't be stupid. That was dumb. 
And, and they said, well, you, your lifeline's short. You're going to die young, some catastrophe. Well, you know, that planted a seed of fear in me. So I spent my teenage years thinking I was going to die. Man, that's not good. And, and, then, and then the last thing, number four, number four was you're not worth having much. So don't ever think you're going to have a lot of money and have a nice place like your daddy because you're not, because you're not worth it. So that played out when Susan and I got married. And, and I used to spend, I mean, not much on a shirt, on a pair of pants. I had usually one or two pairs of shoes. I have a few shirts. I have some britches, I called them back then. But I never spent much money on them because I'm not worth. And the first time I spent, I won't even give an amount, on a shirt, something wrong. I felt guilty. I was married to Susan. And I felt guilty. Where We went to Dillard's or somewhere. I bought this nice shirt. And she said, well, you deserve that. And I thought, no, I don't. Then I bought a nice pair of pants, more than I ever paid for a pair of pants in my life. Oh, that looks nice on you, Mitch. You ought to buy that. I said, don't look nice on me. I don't deserve that. And I didn't tell her that. Susan didn't even know I wrestled with this. I wrestled with it inside. How many hear me? And then by the time I got three or four pairs of shoes, it's like, I got too many. I felt guilty. And I got a whole closet full. I got more shoes. If I'm going to have more than Susan, I know. But I got some shoes. You see what I'm saying? But I had to work through that because it was a mindset. Amen. Amen. It was a wrong mindset. And God can't bless you if your mind's not right. You won't have good relationships if your mind's not right. And you won't walk in health if your mind's not thinking the right way. How many hear me? And then you won't live a long life because you'll talk yourself into the grave early if your mind's not right. Huh? So, so I just reveal four ruts that I had to get out of. So what about yours? What kind of ruts do you have in life? All of us have them. You got to define what they are. Most people don't try to change their mental ruts. That's the problem. Most, even Christians don't try to change their mental ruts. They just come to church, they read their Bible, but it goes in one ear and out the other, and they never try to actually change the thought patterns. The good news is you can change them. Is that good? We'll talk to you about how. Uh, most people, even though they're educated, I found out, Educated people can have an undisciplined mind. Education doesn't mean, I know it's a discipline in a certain area of study, but being educated doesn't mean that you, grab, you have grabbed a hold of your thought patterns and wrestled them to the ground, and you only allow your mind to think on what you want it to think on. Most people let it run. And friends, if you let your mind run, it'll run you away from God and away from closeness with other people and into all kinds of mischief. And then you got to go find a bottle or some pills or some porn or some kind of addictive substance. Or you got to eat six Twinkies every morning, every two hours, just to feel good. No, there's a better way of living. How many hear me? So, so once you, what are your mental ruts? How many hear me? Number two. And once you find the mental rut, so think about your own life. Ask God to show you. Say, Lord, if there's any, here's a, here's a bold prayer. Lord, if there's anything in me that needs changing, show me. Show me. 
Now, he may show you by having conversations with people. He may show you by coming to church and I'm saying something and you're having conversation with somebody in the foyer or you're volunteering and you got a, a really great conversation going on with somebody and they just say something, they have no idea what they said and it grabs you. It's like, oh my Lord, that's, that's me. That's me. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people and, and they just smiling and we're talking and I'm smiling but they're saying something and I'm thinking, my gosh, you're talking to me, talking to me. And in my heart, it's like what they're saying is for me. God, you're, you're talking through them and they don't even know you're using them and, and they're talking to me. That's how you find out. How many hear me? So find out your mental ruts. Once you find your mental ruts, I found there's four of them I found. I had a bunch more than that. I don't have time to talk about them all. Number two, find scripture that refute the wrong thinking and feeling. Now why scripture? There, there's power in the word of God. There's power in the word that's different than power in any other book you'll ever read because the Holy Spirit hovers over the word of God and he'll make the word of God good. In fact, the Bible says God watches over his word to perform it, Jeremiah 1.12. Huh? Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. My words will not pass away. The grass withers, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Forever, O Lord, Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, your word is, is established in heaven. The word's forever settled in heaven. How many hear me? That's the word, so the word does something. Psalm 119, listen to this. How will, will a young man cleanse his way? Amplified Old Testament. By taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming his life to it. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I love message paraphrase. Psalm 37, 31. Uh, King James says, or New King James says, the law of God it is in his heart. None of his steps will fly, slide. But message, Eugene Peterson, message paraphrase. His heart pumps God's word like blood in, uh, through his veins. His feet are sure as a cat's. That means when you fall, you're getting back up. Right? And that's what the word will do for you. So all of us, you get the word in you, I promise, it will change your life and it'll, it'll remove the ruts and it'll get your wheels out of the rut, your mental wheels out of the ruts they've been revolving in, either on the vinyl record or on the, uh, on the dirt road, so to speak. Uh, so for me, for me, number one, that first rut, nobody loves you, nobody cares, nobody likes you, you're not like everybody else, you can't do it, you can't do anything right. That was, that was my number one rut. And when I found, the way I found out about that rut, I got a job at a church, and I, I became a janitor at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I came from a small section of a town in Florence, South Carolina, one small section, Mars Bluff community, that's where I was raised. Then we went to, for Susan and I, we, we went, man, we went big dog when we went to Tulsa. And she was so glad I took her to Tulsa. But the church I started working for uh, were all professional people, doctors, lawyers, attorneys, uh, businessmen, just professional people that, that were just really polished in the way they lived. And I'd always heard, now you can't trust them big dogs. And people got lots of money, can't trust them. I thought, well, you can't trust these people. So I went to a church, I had a bunch of them, and you know what I found out? That wasn't true. But the first thing that revealed was I put on my janitor uniform and all these professional people come walking in the doors during the week 
and it made me feel inferior. And I came to terms with where that feeling of inferiority come. Here's me. I'm doing my job. And why do I feel this way when these kinds of people walk in the door? It's because of what my thoughts did to me when I was young. I said, God, I got to do something about this. And he gave me a scripture, J.B. Phillips translation, early 1980s. But as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. Well, bless God. When I said that, I literally said, well, doggone, I'm going to be all right. And I started saying, it don't matter what people think about me. It doesn't even matter what I think about me. The only person that judges me is the Lord, the next verse says. He that judges me is the Lord. And God thinks I'm sweet even though I don't look sweet. And sometimes I don't smell sweet or act sweet. He says, I'm sweet. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm dearly beloved by him. I'm as loved by him as his own son is. And y'all, it got my mind out of the rut. Secondly, I felt like I was going to get sick at any time and die when I was in my teenage years. When I read the Bible for the first time with the Holy Spirit uh, pressing me, when I read 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So whoa, whoa, were what? Were healed? Were healed from what? Sickness, disease. And then I, I read Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled by what? about what my Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 53. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And that was said after Jesus healed people, a whole multitude of people. That's talking about healing. When I found that himself took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses, there's no reason for myself to endure them as well. And so since he took my sickness and he took my sin, I'm not going to have sickness. And you can say, well, now that's mighty body braggadocious. Well, if it was just talking about my own ability, that would be true. But when I'm allowing my mouth and my heart to agree with what God said about me, it's faith and it's humility. Pride would say, I'm going to be sick and you're going to take care of me and pity me. No, humility says what God says about me is true. Hello, it got me out of the rut in that thought pattern that said, that said, well, you're going to die young, man. When I found out Psalm 91, he shall call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God said to the believer, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life? Did you say with long life? Yes, with long life. My mind's been telling me that rut's been saying I'm going to die young. Why try? I'm not going to die in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, my 70s, my 80s unless I'm satisfied. I didn't die young. I think I'm still young. I'm not dead yet. And I'm not going to die until I'm satisfied with life. Well, that's mighty braggadocious, Pastor Mitch. No, 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 no. If I was depending on my own human ability, if I was depending on how I eat, or how I take care of myself, or yada, 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 like we do today, it would be different. No, I'm dependent on what he said. With long life. If you honor God with long life, y'all, it got me out of the rut. And it chased the fear away. And y'all, you just, you know, if you've ever been down financially, Susan and I got in a hole one time. I made a bad decision in 1982. 
Actually, my first real ministry experience, I was out of the will of God as an associate pastor of a church in our hometown for 10 months. I, I missed God's best. It's a long story. And man, we moved back to my hometown. I was associate pastor. I was one miserable puppy. And, uh, you know, Susan wasn't happy either. And Kenneth Hagin used to say this way. Uh, I went to his school, one of my Bible schools. He said, well, when you're not in the will of God, it's sort of like taking a shower with your socks on. You know something's not right. It just doesn't feel right. And that's how I felt. And I used to think about what he said. Those 10 months, said, God. And finally, I went to Susan. And Susan, I just miss God. And you know one thing I love about Susan? <laughs> she loves me enough and honors God in me enough. She'd follow me. Susan would follow me if God said, you go into the gates of hell and tell those devils that Jesus is Lord. She'd go right with me. Now, if you got a wife like that, you got a good wife. How many hear me? So thank you. But we, uh, during that time, I mean, tough is an, un is an understatement. I mean, we hardly had enough money to make ends meet. I was working. She was working. It was tough. I was preaching every Sunday night. I was getting people healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, all that. Every Sunday night, pastor let me preach. But I was miserable because I was out of the will of God. And, and it was during that time when we, things were so meager. You're going to have times in life. If you're young, you'll have times in life, particularly when you start having babies. Babies cost dollar bills. Hello. Some of you are in the throes of that, and you know what I mean. We put all four of our children in Christian school. It was that a sacrifice? You know, I can't even start talking about it yet. Oh, my Lord. It was a big sacrifice. So, you know, started having babies, life was tough. Even before that, here way back 1982, that was a tough financial. And I'm so glad I went through it because you know what it did? It drove me to the Word. And, and during that time, that's when I came up with this thing. Wait, wait a minute, I don't even feel like I deserve to be blessed. Why don't I think I deserve to be blessed? Because I never had anything in my mind was really nice. And my mind hijacked me and put me in a rut that said, You're not work, you, you, you don't need to have anything that's very nice. I found out if you buy a cheap shirt, it'll last a cheap amount of time. <laughs> if, you, if you buy a nice pair of britches, as my mama called them, that just lasts longer, right? You buy a cheap coat, it's going to be out of whack soon. You buy a nice one, it'll last a while, right? I didn't know that when I was young. And when I started, and so I started getting in the word where God promised, if you'll honor me, I'll honor you. The one that got, my, got me the most is Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. All these possessions, the material things. But seek first the kingdom of God. That is, put Jesus first in every area of life. And all these natural things, he didn't say they'd be taken away. Or you just kind of have to scruff it out with the least, with the sorriest all these things will be added to you. And I think it's Luke 12. Fear not, little children. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he said that, talking, talking to him about God providing for you financially. I had to, I had to overcome and had to start saying, God, 
It's your will that I be blessed. Not that I be self-centered, but that I be blessed. Not that I hog it on myself. You know what I mean by that. I was raised in the country, y'all. Hogs are really selfish. You ever seen them eat? Everything's about I, me, mine, mine. But you know what? When you have others' mindset, when you give, when you're more concerned about God and others than you are of you, God will bless you. But then you've got to have the mindset that says, you know, it's okay to be blessed. How many hear me? And if you have a poverty mindset, somebody give you a million dollars, it'll be gone in a year. Huh? Because you can't bless and you can't walk in blessing, you can't walk in health, you can't walk in security until your mind is that way. How many hear me? So during that time, you know, when I was out of the will of God, man, I got the word in me every lunchtime. At lunchtime, I'd take my bag lunch, my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and my few little meager potato chips, and my little Twinkie that Susan stuck in there because she likes Twinkies, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I'm eating them, but I'm reading the word about finances and where God promised if I give, I'm blessed. If I do what God said, he would honor me. And I would just meditate, read, read, read. And you know what? It got my mind out of the rut. Number three, catch yourself when you're thinking and acting on the rut thoughts, if you want to call them that way. You know, so as I would go through life, and here's what happens when pressure comes. Here's what I know. When pressure comes on me, all of that stuff's still way back there. And when pressure comes, if I'm not careful, I want to go crawl in a hole somewhere and not talk to anybody. Because that's how I dealt with pressure when I was a kid. Because nobody loved me. Nobody cared about me. Nobody didn't. Shut up. That's what I had to tell my Shut up. Just shut up. So when pressure comes, and I said, whoa, 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 shut up. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted in the beloved. God loves me as much as he loves his own son. Jesus shed his blood for me, and it matters very little to me what you or any person thinks about me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. The person that judges me is the Lord. I still say it because it keeps me free when pressure comes. That's the issue. Hip, hip, hooray when everything's going great, when your job is going right, when your spouse is loving you, when all your kids are obeying, but when nobody likes you and your job's not working out and you just got laid off and it looks like nobody cares about you and the kids aren't, even, aren't listening, not even your dog listens to you. That's a bad day. That's when you say, God, here's what your word says. That's when the ruts come back. Remember me? Well, just, well, die. Well, you don't need to live a long time anyhow. You live long. Shut up. I'm going to live long. I'm satisfied with life. But your ruts will come back when pressure comes. So catch yourself when thinking and acting out those wrong thoughts. I say out loud and I still, I get in my truck and I talk, man, I say what God says. This morning I, I kneeled at my favorite chair and I was praying. And as I was praying, I was reminding God of his promises about me. Why? Because I'm staying out of my mental ruts. I don't care what pressure comes to my life. I'm going to keep my mind out of those grooves. And I'll keep my mind with him. You will keep him in perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, whose mind has stayed on you. I said out loud I, years ago, and I've been doing it ever since. I, say, I would say out loud, I'm accepted by God. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm favored by him. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to die young. I'm worthy to be blessed. And you know what? It's come to pass. Number four, lastly, as a close, siege your thoughts. Stick that picture up there, siege. 
That is, I refuse to allow my mind and emotions to rule my life. I acted contrary to what I thought and felt. Sieging your mind is acting contrary to what your thinking and feeling says. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things that are seen, things that are not seen, things that are seen are temporary, things that are not seen are eternal. So there's a city, it's got big walls around it. I've said this so many times, but in Eastern, uh, Eastern cultures, Bible days, wall, uh, cities had walls around them to keep animals out that would harm you, uh, predatory animals, and then also the enemy. It's kind of hard to breach a wall that big. Look how small the people are. And so, you know, you got a big gate and you got big walls. You got sentries sitting on top of the, of the corners of the walls there. And they're looking out for the enemy. And then they have various kinds of armament to hurt people that try to come and hurt the city. And so an enemy army would just siege a city that they wanted to, uh, that they wanted to occupy. And you siege a city by cutting off its supplies. Cut off its water supply, dam up the river. C cut off the food supply. Don't let anything come in or out. Uh, dam up any kind, of any kind of raw materials needed to make clothes and, and uh, houses and things like that. Just, just, just cut it all off. And with some of these large cities, sometimes it would take several years of an enemy army sieging the city to cut off all the supply resources so that eventually you see the little white flag come up. I surrender, I surrender. And it'll be the same thing with our thoughts. It takes time to get our minds out of the ruts of thinking. And, and the older you are when you start, the more challenging and more faithful you have to be at it. Somebody said as you age, your mind's kind of like cement, thoroughly mixed and well set. The good news is I don't care what age you are, you can change what you're thinking. How many hear me? By number one, what's number one? What's number one? Locate the wrong thinking. Find scriptures that refute it and start saying them out loud. There's great value in using your words to your own defense and your own benefit. God will come for your words. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three 23, to the man of faith, he will have whatever he says. And how many know, you know, the devil can outthink you, but you can outtalk him. How many hear me? Thoughts may come, but you don't have to put wrong thoughts into action by, by saying them out loud. You can say out loud what God says. The devil comes and says, you're sorry, you'll never make it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, well, that ain't what I said. Because every time he pokes you with an arrow of doubt and fear, every time if you do that, you say the word. Well, Jesus himself took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses. When the enemy comes with sickness and he tells your mind you've got a dreaded disease that you'll never overcome and you keep saying, well, Jesus took my sins and sicknesses at the same time. You're not repeating the thoughts that he puts in your mind. How many know you'll eventually overcome? It works that way, y'all. Locate the wrong thinking, find scriptures that refute it. Catch yourself when thinking and acting on the thoughts and say what God says. Siege the thoughts. Y'all, I siege those thoughts of inferiority. I siege those thoughts of sickness in my life. I sieged the thoughts that I would die young. I sieged the thoughts that I'm not worth having anything. That's a lie. And if you siege them long enough, they'll disappear. I've been living free for a long time. I've been living free now for decades. Has it been easy? No. But you know what? I'm persistent. I am not going to quit. 
Now, if you kind of personality, well, I'll try for a, a week. Well, you just will quit right now. No, you got to try it like, you know, not try. I'm going to do it because it works. And if you'll put God's word into your life, Jesus will come into your life and make his home with you. And where Jesus is at home, there is inward rest. There is security. There is peace. There is health. There is provision. There is longevity. There's everything that you need. How many know he loves us all the same?